Lent is a season of introspection and repentance. However, that doesn't mean that we should spend the season with any more navel-gazing than we already do. In fact, Lent compels us to look at our lives individually and corporately and ask a question. How have I failed and how have we failed? It is not an easy season in the life of a church. And in preparing for this Lent season, I was struck by how the lectionary readings, the readings that we have assigned for worship on Sundays, they all had to do with one theme, and it's the theme of covenants. Covenants that God has made with us. And everyone in the room should be familiar with covenants in our lives, because at some point we've borrowed money, or we've rented an apartment, or we've purchased a car, or we've gotten married, all under the auspices of a contract, a covenant. Covenants exist because of a fundamental distrust we have for one another and for institutions. We use contracts and covenants to protect us in case the other person doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. Yet the truest and the most important relationships are those that are built on trust. When we lovingly yield ourselves to an other with vulnerability and fragility. And that's exactly what God has offered us in the covenant. God offers God's self to us. And God says, No longer shall your name be Abram, but you shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was born 30 years and three days ago. And when I was born 30 years and three days ago, my parents named me Taylor Christian Mertens. Now, my parents had me in the late 80s and at the time, it was very popular to not find out what the gender of your baby was until he or she was born. And so my parents lived into this mystery. They wanted nine months of wondering, are we going to have a little baby boy? Are we going to have a little baby girl? And they loved that time of anticipation, not knowing what they were going to receive. But as my mother's uh, tummy began to grow... My parents started to have questions about, well, what should we name the child if it's a boy? What should we name the child if it's a girl? And they could have gone the route, which was very popular in the late 80s, to go with a boy name like Michael or Matthew or Joshua. I feel like I had three Michael, Matthew, and Joshua's in every class I had. Or they could have gone the popular route with girl names like Brittany and Lindsay and other popular names from the late 80s. So they talked about that, but then they said, oh, you know, we don't want him or her to be like everybody else. So my dad said, well, why don't we give him or her a family name? My mom said, okay, well, what kind of family name do you like? My father said, well, if it's a boy, we should name him Wolf Detlef Mertens. My father was born in Germany. He came to the States in high school. It's a very German name. We're a very German family. Uh, and that name was the name of my uncle, uh, my father's oldest brother, who died in childbirth. And so to honor his mother, he said, we should name uh, a son, Wolf Detlef Mertens. And my mother said, JT, that sounds like a great name. And we can name our son that, but I will not stay married to you if we do so. <laughs> so they scrapped that name. 
And they thought about it, and they thought about it, and they thought about it, and then finally, right before I arrived, they came up with a name. And they said, if we have a boy, we're going to name him Taylor Christian Mertens. And if we have a girl, we're going to name her Taylor Christiana Mertens. And so for years, of course, as a kid, you don't really think about your own name. It's just something your parents have given to you. But as you mature, you get a little wiser, you start to think, why of all the names did they give me that one? So I sat down with my parents and I said, Mom and Dad, why did you name me Taylor Christian Mertens? And my mother said, well, we like the name Taylor because we could use it for a boy or a girl and we didn't have to come up with two different names. And then I said, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me, but why Christian? And my dad said, because we wanted you to act like one. And friends, look where that got me. (laughs) Look where that got me. Names are important. Far more important than we often give them credit for. And of course today, some of us are more inclined to name our children after a character on a television show than with any kind of theological intent. But in Scripture, in the Bible, names always reflect something more. They reflect one's character, one's purpose, and one's identity. And it's good and right for us to talk about Abram and Sarai during Lent, because we find them here in Genesis 17 during the twilight of their lives. They're reflecting on all they've seen and done, what went well, where they screwed up. It's basically what we do every Lent. And in this particular covenantal moment, it's been 24 years since God promised Abram a son. It's been 24 years that Abram has been waiting for God to make good on God's promise. 24 years of hoping against hope that he would get a son. Scripture tells us that Abram was 99 years old. He had waited a quarter of his life for a son. And I can't help but think that when God shows up in the scene, he says, I'm going to give you a son that Abram says, hey, I'm 99. It's a little late for that now. But the Lord shows up. The Lord shows up and he says, Abram, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant with you. And I will make you exceedingly numerous. We, of course, we could talk about how God always makes good on God's promises. I could preach a half-decent sermon on patience and how we need to wait for God to reveal God's will. We could even spend the next 10 minutes reflecting on Abram's righteousness. But it's important to remember that these two soon-to-be elderly parents were deeply flawed. For 24 years, they had every opportunity to live into the covenant that God had provided for them. They went to a strange land not knowing what would happen, and they were afraid. They saw grim hope for this family that God had promised them, they agreed to some degree to let Sarai lie with Pharaoh, not lie to, lie with Pharaoh in order to protect Abram. They even plotted to let Abram sleep with his wife's maidservant so they could have a kid on their own time. And nevertheless, we serve a God of nevertheless. Nevertheless, God chose these two to make the covenant possibility possible. In you, God says, will I make a multitude of nations. God uses this flawed couple as the seeds that become Israel. 
Because where we see failure, God sees possibility. Where we see problems, God sees solutions. Where we see an end, God sees a beginning. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. You shall no longer be named Abram. You shall be Abraham. You shall no longer be Sarai. You will be Sarah. Everyone in the story gets a new name. God goes from God to the Lord Almighty. Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. And every name change is subtle but very important. God is no longer removed from the story. He is almighty. He can make the impossible possible. Abraham means a father of a multitude. Sarah means princess. These two have been changed by God's covenant. Not just who they are, but their very names have been changed. Because God will do with them the impossible. Who they are called by God is important. And today, as I said earlier, we usually use names as nothing more than titles, something to be flung around without a lot of thought. But in Scripture, there's a lot in a name. For Abraham and Sarah, they have no say in the matter. They don't get to choose their new names. God gives them to them in spite of them. They have been called by God to do something for God. In spite of all their flaws and their sins, God uses them. To do something new. A covenant. A promise. A promise of hope. God says to a people with no future, you will be given a future. It's a promise that's reflected through God's love to Israel and Israel to the church and through the church to every one of us here. This covenant starts with Abraham and Sarah and it is made real in you and I. Names are important. There is nothing quite like someone remembering your name in a world where we forget almost everything else. There is a huge difference between saying, Hey, it's really nice to see you. And Sana, it's really nice to see you. And Pam, it's really nice to see you. And John, it's okay to see you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nathaniel, it's so good to see you. Elijah Wolf, I love you. Names are important. There's nothing quite like hearing your name. Because the difference might be just that one word, but that one word can make all the difference. Our names are so integral to who we are that sometimes we neglect to realize how vital they are. You know, studies show that if you share an initial in your first name with the name of a major hurricane, you are far more likely to give money to help people than if your name is something different. So, for instance, if you're a Carl or you're a Kim, you would have given far more money to the people after Katrina than Taylor or Taylor. That's how important our names are. There's this other thing. It's called the cocktail party effect. And I know that as good Methodists, none of you know what that is. Because none of you have ever, ever been to a cocktail party. But I'm going to share with you what this is. And it's not because I've been to a cocktail party. I would never, ever, ever, ever do something like that. But there's this thing called the cocktail party effect. It says that when you're in a room with about 100 people, you can be on one side of the room completely engaged in the conversation. And if somebody says your name on the other side of the room, you will hear it. And you will stop listening to the conversation you're in 
and you will be focused on trying to figure out what someone else is saying about you on the other side of the room. And audibly, there should be no reason you could hear your name, but there's something about it because it's so connected to us that it cuts through all the other noise and resonates in our ears. And I know what this effect is like, not because I go to cocktail parties, but because I experience it here every single week during the passing of the peace. Just as I did this morning, I will stand here in front of all of you. I will ask you to stand and share signs of Christ's love and peace with one another. And I'll start shaking hands with people. And I'll be talking about something I can't remember. And then all of a sudden, I'll hear Gloria in the choir loft say, I can't believe he's making us sing that hymn again. (laughs) And I will stop listening to what's happening in my conversation because I heard someone say, Taylor is picking the same hymn. And so then I'll try to move on, try to clear my mind, and, and I'll move on somewhere else. And then I'll hear Carla in the back, and she'll say, what kind of sermon title is What's in a Name? I mean, really. Who does Pastor Taylor think he is? And then I'll, I'll freeze, because someone said my name. Every week, I know what it's like, because I can hear my name from somewhere in the room, and I stop listening to who I'm talking to, to hear what someone is gossiping about me. My name is so much a part of who I am that I can hear it through a crowd, and I bet you can too. Uh, I love working on my sermons on Thursday morning. Uh, I work at Wegmans, uh, just on the other side of the road, and I'm regretting telling you that, because the reason I work at Wegmans is because i got to get away from all of you. i got to get out of this church, because otherwise I'd never get any work done. On Thursday mornings, every Thursday since I've been here, I go over to Wegmans, I get a coffee, a little breakfast sandwich, I go upstairs, I sit down, put my butt in the chair, and I write my sermon every week. And a couple weeks ago, I was there, I had my computer open, my Bible was open on the table, I had a piping hot cup of coffee, and I was working on the most important paragraph in the sermon, the last paragraph. I'm just trying to get the sentences right. You know, one of those ways to get you to say amen when I say something. I'm just trying to figure out how to put it together. And I'm typing, I'm deleting, and I'm typing, and I'm deleting. And then all of a sudden, someone appears out of nowhere and screams, Pastor! (laughs) And I almost fell out of my chair. And I said, "Uh, yes? And I have never seen this guy in my life. And he looks at me and he said, I assumed you were a pastor because I saw your computer and I saw your Bible. And I want to come and ask you to pray for me. But I've been saying pastor for five minutes and you haven't responded to anything. So I'm sorry for scaring you, but now I'm wondering, are you really even a pastor? For five minutes, he had been calling me by the name that God gave me. And I didn't even hear him. But during the passing of the peace, a holy moment, I stopped listening to people because I'm worried about what someone might be saying about me on the other side of the church. Names are important. Our parents gave us names, the ones that draw our attention at a cocktail party or during the passing of the peace. But God has also given each of us new names. Names just as powerful and as potent as Abraham and Sarah. God has sealed our hearts with these names. The names that truly define who we are. The challenge is that sometimes we can't hear them at all or we've forgotten who we really are. We forget that we are all children of God. 
The Lord is calling us by name to the covenant, to a promise of hope. A promise that is not contingent on our faithfulness. Because even on our best days, we are no better than Abraham or Sarah. We will fall and we will fail, but the covenant remains because God is faithful. God sees our potential even when we've become blind to the future. God always makes something of our nothing. Our God is the God of nevertheless. God is calling you by name. The question is, can you hear it? I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.